Hey, my name is Berman, and always with me is Dean. And we are the Video Twins. That's right. And welcome to another episode of How I Got This Gig. Yeah, today on the show, we've got assistant director Chris Feltis. He talks about how he got started in the industry, and he talks a little bit about what it's like on set. And he's working on some very big projects, some very big movies, talking about Suicide Squad, Hannibal, all kinds of big American Hollywood stuff that's shot in Toronto. It's a great episode, Berman. Yeah, and you know what? I started as an assistant director. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. So I can relate to this episode. Well, let's get it started. Hey everyone, welcome again to How I Got This Gig, the show that pulls back the curtain on this mystical industry called film and television. You know, this episode is particularly special for me because I started as an assistant director. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I, for me, when I first started, it was just a guessing game. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just kind of just going through the motions. So I have to say, if this podcast existed, I mean, podcasts in general didn't exist back then, but if it did, it would have helped me uh, with my career, definitely. Yeah, because he really outlines the steps that he took uh, to get these jobs to land these gigs and and to keep working and like I said he's working on big stuff and I got to tell you yeah he's a talented guy but he owes a lot of it he says to perseverance to just just not giving up and just sticking with it yeah you know what a lot of people who do well in industry industry rely on hard work and perseverance so that's that's a key takeaway for any of our listeners out there who are trying to get into or are already in this industry Andy shares another great tip which is be easy to work with. <laughs> so you keep getting hired back because as he explains in his interview, you know, he's he's always restarting. It's always a new job. Maybe he's on a job for four weeks, six, eight weeks, or maybe a show which is four four months or something at the most, but then he's got to look for another gig. Yeah, this is not like the, the cutthroat corporate world. It's good to be nice and you get rewarded for it too. Yeah, no, it's yeah. a really, really great, great episode. So did you relate a lot to the interview uh, from your days as an AD? Some of it. I think he's done uh, work that's a much, at a much larger scale than me. I mean, what are the names of the, the shows he's worked on? Like he's, he did Suicide Squad? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's huge, right? That's, that's a completely different scale. But, uh, you know, certain, certain elements definitely I could relate to. And I think you were working mostly in commercials, and you didn't always have, like, as many ADs. He's talking about a first, a second, a third, a fourth AD. You, you just had you, basically. I just had me, and then I had my uh, my group of small my group of PAs. Usually, you know what happens is I get on, I get one of these gigs. I will call my man Dean, and I'd be <laughs> like, "Dude, I need your help here. I need a super PA." Now, if I knew that there was such thing as a second AD and stuff like that, I probably would have called you that, and you would have probably felt a lot better because you were doing a lot of stuff. You're doing the second AD, the third AD, the fourth AD, and catering, and and the driver, and everything else. I should have renegotiated for a new title and, and pay rate or something on that. Yeah. yeah. And Chris talks about that, too. You mm. know, I really was under the assumption that it was very standardized and right. that the job you get is what you get. But he kind of, he made it seem as though you have some bargaining power sometimes. If you're good and people want you, you can renegotiate to help move yourself up in the rankings and in the salaries and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you and I 
we were in an era where we didn't have a lot of access to this stuff, so we were just guessing our way through. We could have probably made a lot more money and had a better career if we had, if we had have known, if we had have known. I guess, but you know, I, you can think that, but then I also look back at the path that my career has taken, and I don't, I have maybe just a handful of regrets. No, one right. was that tattoo right. that I got at the end of uh, one of the movies. No, I'm kidding. I don't have any <laughs> tattoos. Now, when you were doing uh, assistant directing, you worked, I think, a little closer with the director than, say, he did on some of these shows and movies. I did. I did. And again, I think it has to contribute to the fact that it's a smaller scale uh, budget that the, uh, the, you know, the stuff that I was working on. Right. So, um, for some I reason... I would say it was smaller scale only because your shoots were one or two days. Because yes. they were some pretty expensive shoots. Uh, if you were doing that shoot over the course of a 30 days, like some of the movies, or 60 days, then it would have been the same. Budget. Yeah, you're right. I think if that was the case, I probably wouldn't have hand- be able to handle everything. Like you said, it's just a one or two days. I could, you know, yeah. I could go through those two days. But if I had to stretch that out for like a month, the stuff I've done in the past, just myself without any assistance or anything, I would I would have been toast. Um, but yeah, it was it was a little different. I think that. Uh, with the commercial shoots, and and it, it could it could have been because the directors I was working with came from overseas. Uh, I had a little more control over the set. I was directing both the uh, the background talent and the primary talents. Um, it could have been because the directors that came over their their English was a second language. It wasn't as strong, so relied on they relied on me very heavily to convey their message and their their vision uh, towards towards the production. So usually they would, uh, you know, talk work closely with myself and also the cinematographer. And 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 the other reason for that for the cinematographer is because they would bring their own cinematographer from overseas. Right. They would not just grab a random person here um, in Canada. Not going to grab a random person off the street with a uh, DSLR and say, "Come on and shoot this." Uh, no, it's not both in dollars commercial. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now you learned a lot on that role then. I did, I did, and I think I was very fortunate because, because they relied so heavily on me. I was able to, and I knew that my job was to to understand their vision and their way of doing things, and convey that. That I I was forced to really absorb all these different directors, and they're all great directors. The ones I worked, well, I mean, there were a few that weren't great. There was this one dude with right. a big fro, and and he won't go into <laughs> oh, that. Oh, I remember him in big '80s glasses. <laughs> yeah, I'll put a picture in the show notes. Why? Yeah. What do I care? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I was I had the privilege and even if it's a good director or a bad director I had the privilege of learning from them what's good and what's bad what what to do and what not to do and I was able to apply that to my own stuff that I directed afterwards so um, you know I think a, a, a system director here they just really just have to organize you know they're just they're really just scheduling stuff in the role that I had I had a little more responsibilities it was a little harder in that sense but definitely it made me learn and grow a lot more than I would have if I did it any other way. And Chris talks about that too. He says, you know, he's basically watching all these different directors from all different walks of life and experience levels and and seeing how their process is. And then he's learning from that. You know, basically directing is a lot of times just making decisions. And he's seeing how they make those decisions and how they come to their conclusions. And then he's, you know, packing that away for future use as he creates his own videos and films of what, what he wants to do. Yeah. You know, the one thing I didn't didn't know or, or didn't realize when I was younger was that uh, assistant director, uh, assistant directing can be a full-on career, a lifelong career. Yeah. I always saw it as a stepping stone 
to become a director in your own right. Um, now that That's I know, funny. Why this is one is funny because I thought the exact opposite, or I viewed it as the exact opposite. Because my parents, when I was starting out, they said, "Why don't you try to get into the DGC? Why don't you try to get into the Directors Guild and become an AD?" But I knew or thought from experience of working on film and television that I was like, no, you can be stuck being an AD your entire career. That's a negative. It was a negative, right? Yeah, I don't know. I think I, I, I think some of the greatest times I've had, uh, and maybe this is only now, now that I see it, is that I got to learn and see all these different directors in action and how they did stuff. And it was absorbing all this creativity. And I really, really enjoyed that. You yeah. know, that's a part I really enjoy. Sometimes when you're directing yourself, you're you're at the you know, at the mercy of only so much that you know, you know, and uh, it it gets boring. You're just making decisions, like I you know. said, right? And yeah. and that's about it. And you're like you're just hoping to God that those decisions will amount to something that turns out that people are going to be happy with. But as a as assistant director, you don't have that kind of pressure, obviously. But you also get to learn. It's like watching art. Uh, uh, come into fruition and, and I had a good time doing that well you really do have to be careful though because working on these massive big productions it's a grind you know you'll hear Chris talking about the hours you know we're talking 15 16 hours on set you know uh, 12 hours turnaround time before you have to be back on set working you know non-stop it seems so it doesn't leave a lot of time for your outside jobs or your hustle of what you want to try to make so you got to really you know you got to really try to make that a priority if you want to get out of ADing and move into the creative because it can be hard because you can get into that routine of making the money going to work making the money and then you're just exhausted when you get your free time and you, you don't take what you've learned and do something with it that is true that is true I think I could probably have done it when I was younger but now if I were to do this again ah, I'm not I sure just, if I have the energy I'd just be an 80 I would just be an 80 that would be it there would be no side hustle there would be no like let's make a video on the wedding I'm done I'm tired oh man, oh, man it's long hours man I, even that I don't know if oh, I can handle <laughs> I know I know right well this episode of How I Got This Gig is brought to you by Berman and myself aka the Video Twins what's going on at videotwins.com Berman well, we got some exciting stuff coming up. I mean, right now we, we, we're pumping out a lot of original content uh, yep. that, that helps people with their own shoots or their own productions. Uh, I think people should definitely tune in. We've also got this, uh, the latest thing that we're doing, which is like a, was it back Backstage Pass? Is that what That's we're calling right. it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which we kind of uh, humble ourselves by <laughs> rolling back the curtain on some of the past stuff that Dean and I have produced in the past. Uh, talking about how you know how we got certain shots and this and that, and also uh, for me, really self-reflecting and understanding what kind of mistakes I've made. Oh, so. for me too, for me too, because <laughs> you know we're going to be looking at videos that we're proud of, and maybe some videos that we're not so proud of, and we're going to be talking about how basically we came to make what that is, and you will see. Oh, we didn't set out with like a very strong vision and it just, you know, was consistent all the way through and all these magical things happen. No, again, it's about making decisions and making choices and being creative and working with what you have. And that kind of dictates how the end product turns out for better or for worse, right? Yeah. In fact, it's a lot of perseverance that kind of made, got us out of that stuff. <laughs> There's that word again. So you can check out all our great resources. They're all free. It's at videotwins.com. And we're also promoting everything on Facebook and Instagram. So follow us, join our email list, and uh, take advantage of these great resources we have out there. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, so shall we get into it with Chris Feltis? We had a great time. He he drove all the way up to, to my place, and we spent the morning together and, and talk shop, and it was it was great. We had a good conversation. Yeah, let's roll it. Well, Chris, hey, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Dean. Yeah. So you're an assistant director, right? Is that what your yes. title yeah. would be? Um, there's different levels, I guess, of assistant directors either on set. Yes. Yeah. And let's walk through, just so people understand, kind of the world or the department of assistant directors. Because, you know, for me, my surprise was when I started working on set was, well, they're not really under the director, mm-hmm. kind of, per se. They're kind of more tidily tightly uh, associated with maybe the production unit manager or something, some coordination on set. Now, it's not exactly true because se- uh, a second AD or an AD might do directing with the extras and stuff like that. But anyways, can you outline, you know, <laughs> you've got four ADs basically. So you got your director. Yes. Okay. Then you've got an assistant director. What would the assistant yeah. director's role be? Right. So, and, and it's funny that you say the producer side. So on the set, that's the way I would look at it is you have a director, but you also always have somebody from the, an executive producer or showrunner. And then your first AD is kind of in between the conduit between the, the, the set the floor yeah. and the production side of it, you know, all the things that have to happen in and around that. Um, so at its most basic level, an assistant director would be in charge of the scheduling. So taking that script, all those words and working that into an actual timetable that mm. needs to, to be accomplished. Yeah. And, uh, and then also the distributor of information. That's its most basic level. That's the things they do. For an AD. For an AD, yeah, that's... that's and, and I would say they do direct a lot of background talent. From my experience on there, yeah, was yeah. there was a lot of like, okay, the director will work with the principals, mm-hmm. and then we got 50 people here in the back, the AD's kind of blocking them. Yeah, the, the AD's are responsible for anyone uh, who's not an actor talking. Uh, so yeah, all your background, yeah. everything that you see when there's people in the restaurant or walking around, we've set that up. And the first AD's directly responsible for that, but quite often it's the third AD that will set that with... Yeah, you know, someone like myself or, or the other ads, um, and that'd be the most creative, one of the most creative sides of it, uh, because you do really add or, or subtract from the scene depending what you do with that. Sure. So yeah, there's that that side of it, and there's a lot more. That, like the the communication, the scheduling, like I said, is its most basic, but they're very uh, vital um, on a lot of levels because they're the one. It's the one department where everyone knows them and they know everybody. So when you go on set and you talk to someone from a department, they probably don't know anyone outside their department except for an AD. And then they'll obviously know the heads, your director and director of photography by name, but not interaction. So they, but they n- might not know everybody in the grip crew. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then, you know, we interact with everyone and, and it's, it's, it's a funny job. It's a middle management. So, so assistant directing is middle management. And because you're, you're, you know, below the, the, the director, obviously, and the, the producers, and then you're not really above anybody, but you work with all these other departments, and you're kind of caught in that middle space, right? Yeah. Like, like you, you, they want you to tell them what to do, but they don't want you to tell them what to do. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you're not my boss. Um, so it's, it's a funny uh, kind of world to navigate. You sure. guys are responsible for the call sheet? Yes, yeah. So the, the, the call sheet is, again, from that scheduling. And that's just a sheet that tells you what we're going to accomplish for the day on its most basic level, who's who's needed for that, uh, cast and crew. And the t- uh, not so much the timetable. It doesn't really break down like we're going to shoot this scene or whatever. But it tells you when you start right. and the scenes that you need to accomplish for that day. And initially, that's from the breakdown that the first AD does of the schedule of every day through uh, pre-production. And then the second AD, who's at the trailers as well, is uh, responsible for 
prepping and getting that set up for the every day, like previous. So if we're shooting today, the second AD would be back at the trailer trying to get everything lined up for the next day's call sheet with obviously direction from the first AD. He's or she is responsible for that, but they kind of allow that. And that's what it is. It's um, film and television is just, it's such a big beast. Yeah. And there's so many things going on that it really is funny because the, the, even the assistant directors, like you said, you think that they'd be assistants to the directors, but it's, it's just a tear off. And that's the whole, the whole place, every job is just a breakdown of, of people that specialize in a, some piece that needs to be accomplished for that day to happen. So at one point I, I hear in the history of film, the director was responsible for all of it. Yeah. The creative side, the scheduling and all that. And at one point they're like, it just takes away from being able to, uh, create my art right so that's how you got your assistant directors and i, I eventually I, that started to spew out to the why you have a first second third fourth like all these different uh, assistant directors because that is so many pieces there's of, a lot of decisions to be made yeah an yeah. awful lot i mean basically what i always find amazing about a film production is that really it's a company of about 100 to 200 people that just come together for a very short intense period of time mm-hmm. and you've got to move them along they're you know so they've got to all know sort of industry processes or protocols or something or you just how would you move a beast like that you know most companies don't work out in the middle of young street for 12 hours right they're in protected offices or whatever so here you are out there with environment the climate police yeah it's the most extreme yeah work environment you could ever work in um that that i could think of uh with so many moving pieces and and in a lot of ways it reminds me like the military because you have these little platoons and they all come together and you know you got your general and uh, we even work on military times. So <laughs> yeah, right. So it's, yeah, it's it's a lot and it's it's a beast. But yeah, that's why you have a breakdown of all these different uh, uh, pieces in, in, in the AD department, why there's so many different jobs to be done uh, to accomplish that. So how did you get into this business? Yeah, um, uh, that's that's a great question. Actually. Now that I think about it, because you look <laughs> Where back. Where did it all like, start? Yeah, exactly. It's something I always wanted. I wanted to do the creative side of it. Uh, every, you know, since I was a kid and you watch a movie, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. Like that, that idea of storytelling, I want to do that. And I remember being 17 and I uh, applied for a film school in Toronto. Uh, and when I got their package for what needed to be, they, they wanted from you. I was like, wow. Cause, because at that point too, this was in the mid nineties, uh, late nineties film was this, and it still is even, it's amazing with the, the computers and everything. It's still this mysterious yeah. being like, what is, what is film and television and radio and all that? Like, what, what are they? It's just this world that we think happens around us, but we can't be a part of. Like, it's like, you know, these special beings that are. That's why I have this podcast. This is why I love it. No, this is great. Pull the curtain back it, it, it's on It's insane this. because uh, even now you go and you knock on a computer and try to find stuff. It's still very elusive yeah. on, on what everything is. So this is, it's great to have something like this to, to let people know. Because anyone can have a job. It's just what you want to do. Like right now I'm doing middle management, uh, but there's, you know, so many creative and different for every kind of person. Um, but anyways, when I first looked at it, I was, I was under this impression that, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to get into and there's not a lot of jobs. And so when I got this package from uh, the, the school of what I needed to just apply, it, it kind of reinforced that. It was like, wow, like what they wanted me to do and what they were expecting. They already wanted to see stuff I had accomplished. A reel or something? Yeah, a reel. And they wanted, you know, portfolio and all this, these things. I, I had nothing. I'm a 17 yeah. year old kid. I had, you know, some stuff I'd written out in hand. And yeah. uh, it just reinforced that. So I was like, well, that, there goes that dream. So you do what you think you do in a small town. You, you know, it's a factory or you're in the service industry. So I went into to work at uh, retail 
and became a, a middle management in Sears, which was kind of funny. Because you didn't think about think, study, studying something else or? No, I, 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 for me, it was that or nothing. Mm. Um, I had a small time where I thought to be a chef, but uh, after three years of cooking, I, I wasn't cooking <laughs> at home. And it was like, you know, I, I lost that love for my own personal cooking. So I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, so yeah, I did middle management and then uh, eventually started doing things that were still uh, fed into that need, that desire to want to be a part of that. So like I volunteered at Kojiko, yeah. uh, probably around 2000, I don't know, early 2000s. I started volunteering there and you're doing like community cable stuff, uh, but you can do a little bit of everything. So you can work camera and, you know, you can, you can sit in the control booth and, and actually put together a, a show. Uh, and that kind of fed into that, yeah. that, that desire. And, um, it's just, you know, a lot of this getting into this industry too, is just telling people what you want to do or what you think. And if you say it enough, you're going to pump into people that kind of know or in that. And that's what happened to me. I kept saying, I really wish I'd always done this. And I bumped into some people that were also volunteering that were, uh, going to Niagara college, which I lived, uh, in around that area at the time in St. Catharines and they were taking film in Niagara college. So you start having conversations. I was like, you know, this is yeah. maybe a way to, to see that world a bit. And yeah, so eventually I applied uh, to Niagara College. It was a much easier process than, than <laughs> that initial one. And uh, once I got into there, you keep having those conversations, you meet people. And I started doing independent stuff while I was in school. Yeah. Um, and I went in there thinking I wanted to be a writer, director, uh, producer, and, and editor. And, and the good thing about college, because there's another thing, you don't need to, anyone listening to this, Go to school to be in the film industry. You don't. You don't need to do that. That's something we uh, mention often. I think on here, it's something that comes up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in, in obviously because I'm from Ontario, but in Canada, I think there's that pressure, that belief system that to be anything, to do anything, you need the education first. Right. Like that, the formal post, you know, secondary uh, education. But the thing is, for for what you're going to learn in film. Uh, you're going to get that education if you go right into the or TV or whatever. Yeah. Getting in there. I think an apprenticeship is more appropriate for the film industry. Yeah, if you can if you can get by, some apprenticeships are, are true apprenticeships where there's no money. So if you can get by and do that, and it, that's that's one way to go. Um, you know, uh, there's also, like I said, with the independent side, which is kind of an apprenticeship where you're, you're going on these websites that are looking for people. So on Facebook, there's a group... Uh, production uh, uh you know what? i don't even know it <laughs> production something and you put that on facebook and it uh it is people constantly looking for help some of it's paid some of it's no money some of it's you know you get a little some, a mix of the both yeah um and just getting on sets and again being around people that are in that and you slowly start to and that's kind of what i did is um school is great and I came out of that saying, I do not want to direct and I don't I mean, want to. You were clear on that. I don't want to edit. Yeah. Cause you yeah. get to do the thing. So that's yeah. kind of the cool thing about the school side was that, you know, that investment uh, allowed me to kind of really hone in on what I wanted to do. So first of all, I did want, I knew I did want to be on set. And uh, one of the things out of uh, film school that they don't really focus on is assistant directing. Cause everyone wants to do the creative side of right. it. But it was one of the things that I was able to do, and I was older by at this point. I was 28 when I went to film school. So, so you're else's. a little bit older than other people in the class. I was do. a lot of bit older, yeah, by yeah. about a decade. Old man <laughs> felt this, they were calling me. Um, and uh, so naturally, it was just easier for me to kind of take control of those situations and help run the set. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of something I saw that I was like, okay, this this could work as a job, that there's assistant directing, and, and ultimately that's what this has been for the last seven or eight years. Uh, while I've decided I do want to write as well, 
and, and produce. So I've done that independently and I haven't got paid from it yet, but I've been doing that as well. So the, the, the cool thing is you can, with the film industry, you could be in one job and still kind of, you know, you're not with most jobs, you get traditional jobs, you get in there like Sears, I get in that office, you're, you're plugged into now, that's your job. You're in retail and you're just doing this. Where with the film industry, the, the interesting thing is you could be doing one thing and still kind of branch out because like you said, these are short times. These, these uh, productions happen, you know, six, six months, three months, whatever that you're plugged into this. And then you have time between that where you're like, oh, reset kind of thing there. And you can, I got to get a job. Yeah. yeah. But, but sometimes if you plan it, maybe you have another job, but it's two months away. Yeah. There's that two month period where you can kind of branch it and do some of your other interests. So it's, it's, it's great that way. Uh, and for my personality, because I, I don't like being stuck to one thing. Right. So lots of flexibility with your yeah. job. And yeah, that. exactly. What was your first paying job then? When you, you, you graduate school, <laughs> you, you were still focused on it. This is the path you wanted yeah, to I take. Actually, I, uh, I skipped graduation and, uh, went to, so the first job was an independent thing. Uh, it was a 10 day shoot and I, I guess it was a job. I, I got 20 bucks for gas money out of it. I was supposed to come out about $200 a day. And that's the thing with the independent. I was like, man. Ooh. Yeah. And so, so it's funny cause again, I was still doing a lot of other shows where I was, uh, volunteering here and there for weekends for shorts. And that's how I kind of got into the, the DGC and got en route to my first paid job. Okay. And, so let's talk about that. The DGC, <laughs> the, the, the big director's guild, the oh, union. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Guild. Yeah. Not a union. It, <laughs> it's not really a union. No, no. They, they, they're a non-profit, uh, guild organization. So the, the, the reason I'm stressing that is there's a lot of uh, rules and differences between that and what an actual union. But you can't work uh, as an AD without being in the guild. Correct. And yeah. you can't get in the guild unless you're working on a union set. Correct. <laughs> so yeah. it sounds like a union to yeah, me. Yeah, it is. It is. It's unionized, I guess, in a point, but it's just, uh, it's, again, it's a verbiage thing. Yeah. And, and so how did you overcome that? Because I remember early in my career uh, when I'm trying to figure out what I wanted to do, uh, getting those forms and filling out mm -hmm. and, and trying to think, oh, man, I'm going to join the Directors Guild. Uh, you know, and you had to get on set to get the experience to be okay and get the signatures, but you couldn't get on set to get the signatures unless you kind of... Like, there's a small window there, right? Yeah, it, it, and it feels like a catch-22. Um, I think way back when I was a teenager trying to get into film school, it's one of those things that deflects a lot of people yeah. and really uh, tests your resolve. Um, basically... Uh, and not just the, the the guild, but anything. If you want to get into gripping or electric, they, they, there's all these unions. So you like IATSE, uh, and you, you look into those. So you go online again, just punch it in, and they'll have what they need from you to apply. And they'll have periods or windows of times you can get in there. Now, okay. first of all, for the DGC, not only do you need to uh, uh, kind of have a bit of a, an experience or whatever, but you eight hundred dollars right off the top. Just, yeah. So, so it's for, so, but the way I, I see, see it you're is, making $20 in gas money. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> how does that break How many down? short films do I have to volunteer on to pay <laughs> But, but again, the way I see yeah. it is, uh, in comparison to if you go the route where, if I kept doing the, the free stuff, or if you go the route where you do an intern, and for the most part, it's out of pocket, uh, or film school, which is thousands of dollars, tens yeah. of thousands of dollars. So if you didn't do the school route first, there you go, invest the 800, and then you can don't have to be in just one union if you want to be in the director's guild uh and apply to that and you get in you can also go and be a grip through iatsi or whatever and, and so you can try these different I, I know people that are in you know two or three different oh really you know, yeah. Oh, yeah 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 it's uh again because it's freelance so you're yeah. just you're picking and choosing your jobs and it also opens up the variety of jobs coming at you or at least hopefully it does um 
With the guild, though, the, the thing that's kind of cool about uh, assistant directing is I, I find there's kind of kind of like three kinds of people that are in it. The ones that are, it's their career. I'm going to be. Yeah. And it's not just, uh, the, the guild's not just assistant directing. It's a lot of the office. Uh, so your post editing, sound, uh, film editing, uh, art department. So, so there's other, you know, avenues you could go that way too. And if you go to the DGC site, um, they'll have members and how to apply to member and what categories. It's, it's very detailed. Right. And what you need to do for that. Um. But, but the other side of it is I see people that were in the creative side. So we have directors, people that were writers, people that were actors. We have lots of direct Degrassi, the original Degrassi show, actors that have been my bosses. Really? Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, and then we have the people that want to get in the film industry, but not sure what they want to do. So as an assistant director, you kind of get to see every job. Like I said, you work sure. with everybody. Yeah. So you get to see every position. So we have a lot of people that will work a year or two, and then I'll see them across the room and they're in electric now making that real yeah. money <laughs> uh, <laughs> or camera department or whatever they end up going into. So right. it's kind of a good avenue that way as well, where you can kind of see, and that's just it. Once you get in there, if you're, if you're doing it for, for a career, you don't have to, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. And then that's it. Sorry. That's it for the rest of your life. Like I said, you can do, uh, you see crossover. Yeah. hundred percent. That's great. Yeah. So what was your first job then that you got? Mm. Do you remember it? I do. It was, uh, it was actually, it's funny. It was a non-union show that I got through applying to a, uh, a transporter television show for, for, so it was a tier A, uh, unionized show. And I was doing the whole, uh, so with the DGC, and this is again, why it's kind of separate from unions in unions, you're on a priority list Yeah. with, so they call down the list. People need, uh, workers. They'll call down the list by priority in the DGC. It's like the real world. You're going around handing out resumes. Shaking oh, really? hands. Yeah. You, you're getting your own job. You're not guaranteed work. Because you know, if you're a grip, then you're going. They're going down the list. But also, grips uh, don't they work in crews too? Correct. You know, camera yeah, crew. Cool. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So ads too. Because I would see. Uh, yes. You like you want to like your ads. Eventually, anyway. yes. Yeah. Anyone you're going to work eighteen hours a day with uh, for you know six months, uh, you want someone you can stand. Which is what I keep saying is how I get most of my work. Just people I'm not really good at it. Yeah. Just people can tolerate me for eighteen <laughs> hours. Um. So so I handed a resume. I went right to the offices, uh, production offices, which I looked up online and. Uh, Handed my resume to the to the people, and the one guy wasn't. It was my. I haven't done anything yet, so it was too big. I was a little ambitious, but his wife happened to be working on a show in Hamilton, which I, I was in the Niagara area. Yeah, and they had a problem getting people out there at that point from Toronto to go work there. And it was a non-unit. It was called uh, Canada's Greatest Know It All. It was a reality show ran for two years, and this was their first year that they were going to be shooting it. And so they had. had uh, a first AD and a second AD, and then they needed someone that could place, not, didn't get the title of the third AD, but basically that third AD, someone that could help run the the, the floor. And uh, what sold them was my middle management skills through Sears for 10 years. So that's another thing. Really? It's funny yeah. what kind of life experiences kind of play into this. Um, so that kind of got me that job. So that was my first paying job. So working on the floor means what in the reality show? So what would your what were your duties? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah. So when I say floor, it, it, it's, not, it's not even physically a floor sometimes with that reality show, we were in like, uh, uh, gravel lots a lot, like, or, or you know, uh, all sorts of fields and, and, and wherever we were. So when we call it the floor though, it's just, you're, you're shooting your set. Yeah. The, the, you're shooting. And so running it again is making sure that you get everyone in that one. We had, I think, I can't remember what we started with like a dozen contestants. So we had one person that was assigned to those contestants, but then it was my job to get the information to them when we needed them on a certain spot and where. Uh, safety, like we were yeah. in, uh, you know, quarries, uh, we were shooting in a lot cause we had explosions and all that. So you're, you're also responsible for the safety of everyone on set. So you want to make sure that all safety protocols are not only in place, but everyone knows what those are. Does the DGC 
um, give you training, CPR, onset safety. Make, you have to get some... In the training, that's uh, when you first start. So there's a three-day course, and they're kind of teaching you about what a set is and yeah. what, what the, the department does. And then in that, they offer training uh, in CPR and all that. But we have set medics, so so it's not terribly necessary for you to have that. A proper show should have a set, at least one yeah. set medic on at all times. Because... He, the thing is, even with CPR training, and that's why I said when you go back to stores, Sears made all the managers have CPR training. That comes down to an individual thing on your ability, not just to know the thing, but to, to actually do what needs to be done on the day. You can only do so much with CPR. So we have, right. again, that's another, if you watch a movie, you'll have set medics yeah. in the credits. They're a vital part of, of set. Like, it's just so many pieces. and uh, but But it's up to us to make sure they have what they need. And everyone knows who they are and, and what safety precautions are in place if something does go wrong is one part of it. Uh, and then, again, like I said, executing the timetable of the day. So with the director, you, you're telling them, okay, we have two hours to do this. What do you need? Like what, or, or you provide. I have, we can make this happen for you to make it happen quicker. Another creative side, actually, is, is through uh, executing uh, the kind of the management side of it, you are helping them creatively because sometimes sure. the tools aren't available to the need. And by knowing your job and knowing the industry, you can find other job, uh, other pieces that they need to, to accomplish what they need to do creatively. And so how'd that job turn out? Were you on it for two years then? Was that two no, years of no, work? That no, no, been... that was quick. That was, uh, how long did that show? It was about a summer, so a couple months. Okay. So I, I, yeah, I haven't done it. I think the longest job I ever did was eight months. That's most TV shows and the movies are, you know, two to, to four months. Yeah. So, and then, you know, like I said, you're out in the street, which I kind of like. I like the idea that I'm going into a job knowing I'm going to get fired. Because it's just like, because <laughs> in the, the real world, and I'm using air quotes here, there's like this sense of uh, security, this false security with right. the job. Like, like I said, with Sears, which no longer exists. Doesn't even exist anymore. And I had to make that choice to thought. leave Sears yeah. to do this with no safety net. And, uh, and, and they had offered me a higher position because they didn't want to lose me a higher paid salary job. And I had to make that choice. And everyone's like, are you nuts? Like you're going to make three figures, you know, six figures or whatever. Uh, six figures. I wish, uh, you're going to make all this money for sure forever. And, 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 and they were pretty wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you, you think it's forever. And... You think these are, and people get stuck in these jobs or they think it's, you know, uh, Sears or all these other jobs are forever. And it's kind of freeing to be in an industry or in a, and get a job where, you know, for sure, it's not going to last longer than, well, you days. can plan around that, I guess. You know what's happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was more control. Yeah. And what's great is it gives you these short little opportunities to, like I said before, reset or go like, okay, now I'm going to pivot and go to this direction maybe or whatever, yeah. right? Or that or work on my own stuff. Because I guess if you're, yeah, if you're just grinding it out in retail, there's not a lot of opportunities until you are let go. Or until you are laid off. And exactly. Then like, or until do do? the organization doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. They're like, oh, look at all these opportunities. I don't think anyone says it that way, though. <laughs> Getting back to the team thing and the hiring is, I've picked jobs, uh, not so much on the show that I'm going on, but the team that is doing it. Right. Because again, it, it works two ways. Like, they, you know, they pick people they want to work with, but I, I now am to a point where I can pick teams that I want to work with, you know, that have the same sensibilities. And, and for me, sense of humor. I, li I like to have fun at work. So I'll pick teams that are, you know, take it, take it easy a bit. Yeah. That's great. So I see on your resume there, you were a tad on Suicide Squad. Yes. Uh, that's, a, that's a big movie. Yeah, it's 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 a beast. It, and that's a funny one too, because it's, uh, I had again negotiated to have that back. So before they had the fourth AD position, it was still called a tad. So they had had a third on the trailers. Um, and I had negotiated to get that tad position and just be a floater. And they didn't want to, the production, it was, it had a lot of ADs on that one. And they didn't really want to make that position happen. And, 
my boss really wanted me though. He said, we'll make it work. And so when I showed up day one, it was, I was actually working on the trailers. Yeah. Which I don't like to do very much. Uh, again, you're, you're tied down to a thing normally. You're working on the trailers means you're you're walking actors to set? No, no, not necessarily. Uh, what, do you, what do you Yeah, no, that? no. If, when you're running the trailer, so when you're the third AD or, or back then the TAD, um, you're not, not, you can walk them right to set, but more or less, you're getting everyone, you are running that. So like we said, the first AD runs the floor. They're running that, that back place because you have all these trailers set up. And then Suicide Squad, we had, uh, it's a big cast. Yeah. You think of those, first of all, not just like big as in like the star power, but how many leads there were in that, like people that would normally have, you know, and then on top of that, you had these, when you're watching with all these military scenes, you had these teams of military guys that were also actors in that. Some of them had actual military background. Um, So we would have days where we'd have 30 people that were our main cast, and then you have another 30 stunt main cast, and then, so it's too much for one human to do. So we split the camp into two so you by camp you have all these trailers and you have the actors uh, trailers back there you have your hair and makeup uh costumes and, and all these other pieces of the department there's the guy that's in charge of transports back there because you're, you're talking to him a lot to make sure you can get the trailers that you need for everyone or anything that needs to be changed um and they're basically working with the first ad uh, and second ad to make sure everyone gets out there on time because you're, you're transporting them from their hotels to to set gets into makeup and hair and gets everything that gets their breakfast. And so you're, you're managing, you're running that whole beast back there. And, uh, and then, yeah, sometimes you'll walk them to set, but mostly you'll, you'll make sure they get into a shuttle and drive off. Right. So you're, right. Not, you're not really ever leaving that. And then for the main person, they have a lot of paperwork they have to do because there's contracts that need to be signed for the actors. Um, you're, you're doing your own AD paperwork to, to make sure your team has everything you know, lined up that they need to have lined up. And you're helping the second AD who's back there doing the, the the call sheet for the next day so it's it's kind of it's a very intricate job and i want nothing to do with it yeah personally like I've, I've tried to stay away from it like the plague um because it's it's a different world when they're back there you really get to see what people are because when they're on set there's a lot of people and there's almost a performance in that with with and with cast and also with you know hair makeup and, and costumes they're more comfortable when they're back there so when they get stressed out you really get to feel it so have you got any stories about that? Uh, <laughs> i got a lot of stories. I don't know if there's <laughs> any can tell. Well, that one, that was an animal. The the Suicide Squad. Uh, yeah, I think that's the other thing is you become like the keeper of secrets because uh, not just that they get upset, but also you get to see everyone comfortable. So they, they had a lot of fun uh, for me. So, so what happened with that job for me was I ended up being, I got that utility job in a sense that I always wanted anyways, because once I got all my people off, I didn't have to do the paperwork side. The, the the woman I was working with was very established, and she she did that. They're all usually control freaks, too. Right. <laughs> that's, <laughs> really? That's, that's a I, certain yeah. kind of person that yeah. needs to be back there. Um, and uh, so she was on it. So once I sent them off, Will Smith had a, uh, uh, like, one of those wedding tents, those big wedding tents, the big white. He had one of those set up with a TV, couches. For himself. He didn't even have a trailer. He had a well, wedding well, no, tent. He had a, he had a he had his own trailer. And actually, the big part, the reason I took that movie was I wanted to see, he had this double-decker. I remember years ago, I watched this custom show, and they did a whole episode on these these actors who were customizing these these double-decker trailers, yeah. right? So I wanted to see this thing, but he didn't bring it because he had so so much blowback from having it in New York. And he's like, he didn't want to, pro- he's, he's very uh, good at, you know, He's kind of as normal a dude as you can be to be that big. Right. So he didn't want that to be how people perceived him. So he just had a normal trailer back there. 
or a bit nicer than a normal one. We'll say that. Yeah. But the, the tent was for a lot of the cast, for his people. The, the dude's got like a world of... An entourage that oh comes my, with well, him. Well, I, I don't even call it entourage because to me that's like lackeys and stuff, like just people that are hanging off you. An industry. This man has an industry around him because he's got so much going on all the time, right? Right. So he has so many people. So it was kind of a relaxed area for them. Uh, the other uh, cast and some of the crew were allowed were allowed in there. And uh, so, you know, you had a turntable there and, and, and so for some music and mics and, and a little arcade basketball thing. Yeah. So that's where I would hang out in a pool table and I got really good at pool um, because sometimes they didn't need me to go to, to set and help out. There were days where it was pretty basic, you know, once they get into the studio or wherever they're shooting, it's locked in and I just have to be around in case someone comes back. Yeah. Um, so... I, it was like summer camp at sometimes. There's still a lot of hard work. Sure. But in comparison to a lot of jobs that I've done, there were, there was a lot of downtime at times. Was that a good shoot? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, It was. you got to see a lot. It was, um, like I said, just the cast was huge, but then what they were achieving was was gigantic, a lot of things. Uh, they had the, there's a scene in it when they're in a helicopter and it's about to crash and it spins around like a laundry barrel. Um, they physically did that for real. Like put them really? in this gigantic uh, uh, shell of a helicopter and they spun the thing. So just to watch that and how much the actors enjoyed that or didn't enjoy that. But that, that was, that was, it's a big, like we see a lot of big machines and it was a big machine to turn this thing around. Right. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a good shoot and it was, a, it was a solid summer. It was also, uh, what people don't know is, uh, the timetable is really weird. So some days you're shooting days and the yeah. next thing you know, we did like four weeks of just night shoots which means you start at three or four in the afternoon and you don't finish until seven or eight in the morning. And it, it just, your body gets a little screwy after a while, your, your timetable. So it takes a, a different kind of person to be able to do that as well. Cause it's not like a nine to five, you know, you wake up when the sun goes up and you go home and when, when it goes down, you, you're, you're working these crazy hours cause you have to get this thing done. Yeah. You know? Um, did you think that was a great movie? Yeah, I, I personally liked it, but I, I, um, I liked it because I, I think from working on it, I went right. into it with a different perspective. Uh, I think a lot of people were expecting something else. To me, the way I, they approached it, and they changed a lot in the edit. We, we most people know they did a lot of reshoots in LA. Right. Um, so like that end scene totally changed. And uh, some other pieces, they added some pieces like the flash wasn't, we didn't shoot anything with that. Captain uh, Boomerang, uh, his little backstory wasn't, we didn't shoot that. So they added some elements, but to me, I didn't. Uh, I didn't go in to sit down to watch it as a. This is a beginning, middle, end movie. To me, this was. This is a setup movie. It's one big origin story for all these uh, characters that eventually are probably going to get all their own movies. Um, so I went into it as a popcorn fun thing. I think a lot of people went into it like it was going to be some theatrical masterpiece or I don't know what they expected. You know, <laughs> uh, and it didn't pull you out of it too much, knowing that you you worked on it or something. You could still. No, I'm a simple it. creature, Dean. I, uh, I was able to shut my brain off pretty easy. There's <laughs> nice. every once in a while you're like, oh, I remember that, and yeah. you know, you can't help it and sure. recall. Um, but for the most part, when I work on something, I'm able to sit down and, and watch it. Uh, it's different when I do. I produce the movie. And that was different. I can't watch that thing once with a, just my gut hurting. Because, first of all, you've watched it a thousand times because the edit. I was there for all the editing. Um, and so when you sit down and watch it with people, you, you, I find myself always looking to see what their faces right. are doing. But then also you can't help but think if we'd only done this differently or what if this were the difference being in uh, what I'm doing as an assistant director those creative choices, except for background, weren't really in my hands. So I, I don't have that guilt or that, you know, that what if moment. Um, the, you know, there's some background choices where every once in a while you're like, oh, I really wish we hadn't have done that. But Yeah. 
or not like, man, we worked so hard and that movie is a dud. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> have you had those? Um, no, a lot of TV shows, but I, I yeah. kind of expect that because TV's, uh, it's getting much better now. But when I started working on it, it was still that for- formula of, you know, here's another thing every week kind of yeah. thing. So, um, no, with films, I, I, I've been pretty impressed. I mean, I worked on Pixels. That's another one that wasn't as, rec- I thought that was going to do really well. I thought that'd be really well received. You did. You yeah, you're yeah. on set, you were doing it and you thought... <laughs> This is going to be good. Yeah, like people are going to love this. Like, why wouldn't you? It was it was so neat, and it was right at the time when the whole '80s, and we're still deep in it. That whole embrace of the '80s, right? Uh, culture was coming back, and and I was like, man, this is all about the '80s, and that's kind of what Adam Sandler's been obsessed with his whole career. If you watch all his movies, flashback to the '70s and '80s, sure. always. Um, and yeah, it just wasn't received well. And it, it, you did know, you watch it? And did you think it was a good movie when you? Yeah, watched I watched it? it. I thought it was again entertaining. It's yeah. it's uh, it's again. It depends what you go in. I, I think I go in with pretty low expectations. Um, and even movies I haven't worked on, I, I think there's only been a handful of movies ever I've watched where I was like this is terrible. Like I can't stand yeah. watching this because for the most part, I think I appreciate the storytelling. So there's always something you can grab out of it. Um. But yeah, no, I, I thought it was, for what it was, good. Have you been on a nightmare set? Have you had I think, <laughs> your worst shoot ever? I think uh, almost every set has a moment where you're like, oh, okay. God, yeah, like, am I going to be able to, that gut check moment, can I do this? <laughs> and then eventually, it's funny, because you, you stack up enough where it's almost like deja vu. You're like, yeah, I've been here before. Where, you know, again, like I said, the, the late shoots. And uh, for me, the worst thing is... When you have a long day, you know it's going to be a long day, or you're in the middle of it, and the actors just aren't getting it, or or sometimes the camera guys just aren't getting a move, like something's just not clicking, and you have to sit there for 20 takes. Yeah, and like, oh, I just want to go on. Can we just get past this day? You know, like the longest days ever, and it's something you have no control over, and, and it's you know you have to sit there and watch, and that that that's like a nightmare scenario. It's like that you know you're sitting there and you're stuck in this, and we even look at each other like this is hell. Yeah. This is, we're stuck in a loop. We're in hell. We're never leaving. We're just going to listen to this guy butcher this line all day, <laughs> you know? And I've seen actors get replaced that, that were supposed to be, you know, on the whole thing uh, because of that. It just didn't work out. And, yeah. and you know, sometimes we'll look it at happens. each other like, oh, this is going to, this guy's not going to last long or directors or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it, it's tough. But from our end of it, uh, you know, you, you, you buckle in for the ride and you, 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 get, you get it done. Has it uh, been able to help you sort of improve your own craft on the side like watching the choices these directors make or oh man why they do what they do yeah i would 100 uh anyone who wants to be like a director or even writing like i get to look at so many scripts like like even shows that i do uh just a day here and there you usually get sides which are the script for the day the words to be said i've i can't even count how many scripts i've I've gotten to read and it just you can't not improve uh, from getting to see all the different ways. And a lot of times it's like, it's funny because you go to film school or, or whatever, screenwriting schools, and they tell you, this is how you do it. This is the craft. This is the way, this is the structure. You read all the books. You sit there and you read some of these scripts like, what in the hell? This breaks every rule. Like some of them are just like, not even, it's just like you and me talking, but he wrote it down on, on paper. Yeah. Like, what if this happens now? And I've seen that in a script. I once, when I was starting out, was working on the Video Assist Video Village crew yeah. and had to uh, read at the time, it was called The Farm. I can't remember what... It went on to... Al Pacino it was shot in Toronto. It was about the CIA training camps or whatever. I okay, yeah. What that yeah, one yeah, was yeah. called. I think I remember that. 
And I read the script because I had to go through and pick out every time there was a monitor and something so right. that we would know that we need a monitor that is working there with some images on it or whatever. And I thought it was the worst script I've ever read in my life. There yeah. was like one scene that was like, okay, that would make the trailer and that was an interesting scene, but the rest was just gobbledygook. Yeah. And somehow between me reading it and them making it all come together on set, it was an okay movie. It did well, but... Much better than, yeah, yeah, much better when you read it. It's, it's funny, it works both ways because I've read scripts where, like, this is amazing. I've worked on shows, like, right. uh, I worked on the show Copper, which takes place in like the 1880s or whatever, New York, uh, Five Points, and it's from the police's perspective. I was like, we're doing some amazing stuff here. This is gonna be, and I watched 10 minutes of the show and it was awful by the time it got made. Um, so it's funny, you can get a really great script and it can turn out to be a turd, or you can get a script that's not too great. Uh, um, Jai Courtney, who was on Suicide Squad, he played Captain Boomerang. That when I read that, uh, that part I was like, ugh, this part's gross. Like it's oh, just, yeah. it was, yeah, it's just boring and dumb and, and just like a, a one-dimensional character. You, you get this guy from the camera, and I was like, holy smokes! Like he did so much with it. He just brought it alive. Oh my god! Like like to be to have the mind to even be able to read that. Like, well, yeah, I can do something with this because I would have read that. <laughs> go, mm mm, I'm not touching uh, that. Ah, uh. a lot of times you'll see scripts that are turds that. Yeah. Another thing that's kind of cool is these some of these actors I'll get to know a bit and they'll let me read stuff they're reading. So I'll get to and I'm like, do not like I'm not your agent, but I would not do this movie. <laughs> um and then you see it come out and it's, it's an absolute turd. So Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's uh so the other side of it is if you want to direct, most directors what they tell you to do is go out and direct. Go go out and make stuff. If you want to be a director, go make a movie right now. Make a short, do it. Which is great, but if you get on that fast track, you'll only ever know what you do. Right. You'll only ever be on your sets. So the kind of cool thing about this is no matter what department, now the assistant director gets to work with the directors a lot. I've seen a lot of directors. So again, I don't want to direct, but I've sure learned a lot about the craft. You can't not, again, sure. help but learn so much. So it's, it's kind of cool to be on all these different sets. And you see, it's funny. You see them make the same, uh, some of them make the same decisions, make mistakes. And there's some guys that just... Are absolute mavericks. Like the way they go about it is so unique, but it works. So it's 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 a great and and if you want to be a director of photography, whatever you want to be in, there's a department you can get in and kind of get a sneak peek of those and see a bunch of them. Work with a bunch of these people before you you commit to it. And you can still be doing your own stuff. You can make it short and still work because we said you have those yeah you know times off between. So you could come and work on a set as you're planning your own thing, but you get to see all these different TVs. One where you get to see on a TV series, you can see several directors come through there because it's a different one usually every episode. Right. They usually uh, take about a week to shoot each one. Yeah, yeah about basically? 14 days. If it's really good, if they're crammed, it could be like six or, or seven days Yeah. yeah. Uh, of shooting. So it's... What do you prefer, movies or TV series? Right now, movies, but more for the, um, the time period. Uh, you know, I, I like the idea. I'm looking for the summer. There's a couple movies starting up, so I'm looking to get onto a movie. Because I know that it'll start, you know, June, July and end in October. Where a TV show, I could start in July and end next July. Yeah. It's like, oh man, with maybe a couple hiatuses in between, but it's like, ugh, it's just so long to commit to that and and life happens. And that's another great thing about this is getting out of retail because it was retail, you're locked in, you know, five days a week, but it seems like your whole bloody life all the time. Yeah. And they give you two weeks off a year. It's like, oh, I can't do that. Where this, I can be, you know, my wife and I just took two weeks off. And when this is done, I'll take Christmas off. I've taken every December off for the last seven years. Nice. I've never worked a December. Yeah. Uh, which actually started by fluke. On the first show I did, they took a three weeks hiatus over Christmas. Um, and I was like, man, I should do this all the time. 
So I've just always kind of been able to line jobs up that way where, yeah, so, so movies more for the timetable and the caliber of people, like the, the crew that I work with is insane. You start working with a lot of the same people because there's, there's only so many of the best. And so when you're working on like these tier A, these top tier movies, I've been working with the same camera guys. The guy, this one guy, Angelo shoots probably, you know, almost every bloody movie that comes through this town. Yeah. Or at least, you know, if there's three, he's on one of them for sure. Um, and, and you get all these crews that you start working with all the time. So it becomes almost like a family, like this weird little messed up family. That's <laughs> <laughs> up all night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, we never <laughs> Out sleep. on the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Drink all the coffee. The movie I was talking about was The Recruit. With the Al Recruit, Pacino. yeah. Do you remember that one? Yep. Now, what about reality TV versus narrative entertainment, narrative shows? Preference uh, there? I'm going to guess that you prefer to be in narrative yeah. entertainment. Yeah, yeah I, I'm... Yes. <laughs> yeah, the reality doesn't really uh, appeal to me too much. Uh, again, it's a big, a big reason I was, as a kid, kind of t- taken with this uh, storytelling method. Is I, reality's, I'm, I'm living it. I'm in it right now. You know, it's, yeah. it's so when I watch documentaries, and that sometimes there's some interesting things, and there's 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 people out there that have taken uh, that that fiction style of shooting, that the film filmic style of shooting, and brought it to documentary. It's kind of funny though over the 10 years and it's been happening forever, but it's really caught on where a lot of the, the documentary style shooting techniques and storytelling techniques have been brought into film yes. and TV, a lot of handheld, the way they tell stories, uh, they've, you know, the narratives over top, they've kind of stolen a lot of that. So I kind of feel like I am, I'm getting to shoot that, but it's made up baloney. Instead, I have to hear this guy actually talk <laughs> about eating somebody for real. I was like, <laughs> it's no thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know? But I worked on Hannibal uh, for three seasons, and we, we pretended there was this really intellectual guy eating people. That I can do, but you I don't want to go home that. at the end of the night and think, oh, yeah. I was 10 feet away from this guy that, like, you know, yuck. <laughs> no thank you. Is there anything that surprised you about this industry when you really started getting into it? Yeah, I think, um, just again, going back to the whole how mystified it is, is how un- magical it is like it's 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 a factory it's a it's manufacturing it's office work it's it's everything you have in any other job but there seems to be this veil yeah you're you're pulling back man and i appreciate that (laughs) um because like i said there's a lot of jobs out there for people uh even you know carpentry right set set building like there's so many different uh jobs for different uh people that have skill sets that you can apply to anything. So, so many rules to add to the magic, right? To help correct. build it all, build the dream. Yeah, man. There's a dude that just, uh, you know, does the font sizes for when you see the, the credits at the end. Or like yeah. you were saying, uh, the, the, the guys that, if we have a monitor, someone's got to be in charge of that monitor to make sure that if in the scene, uh, they're looking at a screen or whatever, someone's got to make sure that information pops up on cue. Or, you know, whenever you see someone yeah. scrolling across on a, on a computer screen, someone's inputted that playback and has to make sure that it plays on the screen when it needs to. Um, so I think that, that it was that it was just how mundane it actually was. It wasn't, you know, it's not this big secret. Yeah. Um, now saying that there is still parts of it cause I'm in it and I'm trying to be creative. There are still parts of it where, uh, I wouldn't say it's so, so mystical or, or, or you know, secretive, but you really got to work a long time to get to these places to, you know, writing and, and whatnot. There's a lot of steps and you got to be at it for a long time before you can get at it. But that's anywhere. Like yeah. there's a lot of jobs, you, you know, if you want to be a millwright or anything, you got to work to get to that stage. So what are you working towards? What do you uh, want to Yeah, write, writing. Writing, writing. And, and, and what I would call like collaborative producing, yeah. um, which is kind of a, it's a term, but it's not really, you don't see a collaborative producer on the thing, but 
It's like an executive producer or a showrunner um, who usually come from a background of writing yeah. or, or directing or both. Uh, just creating. I want to. I want to make my own stuff and and get to to put all that energy. Because the other thing is, when you're putting all these days on other people's projects, uh, a lot of times you're like, oh man, if this is mine, I do it this way. And when you have that, and, and sometimes you'll have, I'll have an idea or something that would pop the scene. And when you see a producer come in or a director come in and make that change that you've just been thinking, it just more makes me feel like, okay, yeah, I could do this. Um, so, you know, I, I write, uh, a lot of, uh, st- scripts, shorts, features, uh, I've done a couple pilots and you pitch them, but, uh, again, there's, you need an agent for that. There's only so many people you can unsolicit, uh, yeah. unsolicited hand scripts to. So that's, but to get an agent, again, it's like that catch 22. A lot of agents want you to have had something made right before, you know, a proper agent, at least I would say, um, so yeah, that's what I've been aiming towards. And again, I can still do that. Even if I am an assistant director for the next 30 years and that's my job, my career, I can still write. I just, you know, I would like to be able to make my living off of that. But I can I can still just do that for the, the aspect of, of the fun side of it and, and the satisfaction, you know, accomplishing them. Can you Are you making connections to be able to help with this? Or is it tough because you're on set and the writing is happening so much earlier in the... You make connections, 100%. There's, there's people right now that I believe that I, I did a I did a pilot for a kids show and I called in a lot of favors. You you yeah. make connections with people and not even to like people can advance your script, but just making the thing. Yeah, get people on set to help you make this look like you know the real deal. And uh, but yeah, there's there's the script I'm writing now. I'm kind of between the uh, choosing because that's the other thing. You got to sit down and write the bloody thing, which can go fast. Or my my experience usually goes qu- quite slow. You know, you could sit there in front of what seems like all day and get three pages out. Yeah. And you, for a proper script, you want it to be over a hundred pages for, for a feature. And so you're sitting there going, oh man, this is going to take forever. It's a mountain. So I'm trying to choose which one I'm going to uh, write out next, given the idea of maybe putting this in the hands of people that can help me actually make it. Like, let's get it, you know, so I'm writing it with that mindset too. Right. And that's another advantage is I've been on set. So I have that management side of my brain, the producer side of my brain. It's like, okay, Maybe I don't have them in a river. Because the river is going to be a whole other All the elements. logistical yeah, problem. Exactly. And, so you start writing, yeah. you know, you're creative. You're like, what What else could work for that scene that isn't a river? Yeah. Have, yeah exactly. Or blocking always, off all of downtown Toronto. Let's yeah. come up with another river. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Does it have to be down Bay Street? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm kind of writing it with that idea and then hoping to get it in the hands of people. And you meet maybe actors that you can, you become friendly enough that you be like, hey, could you at least read this? Yeah. Is this something you'd be interested in and, and go from there? So that's, I got to pick out of these two, which one I'm going to invest the time in that I think we could actually accomplish and make. What's the money like? If I, if I can ask here. How dare you, Dean? Oh. <laughs> Is that you? off limits? Uh, well, like I was saying before about making the big money when you get to electrics and well, technicians make, make some good cash. Yeah. Uh, because they have a measurable skill set. Now, assistant directing management isn't seen as a skill set. Personal uh, skills, interpersonal skills, at least not on a technical side. They, so, so not until you get to the first and second, they can negotiate, like, can really negotiate a rate. Um, if you're American, it, buddy, that's it's like a lottery ticket. I would really recommend being a first assistant director in America. Really? Oh yeah, the, the DGA, Directors Guild of America, they get points, they get percentages. What? So imagine being oh, on a wow. billion dollar movie, sure, and you're getting a percent or even half a percent, right? Probably. Oh, yeah. Really? They get that? Wow. Yeah. But you're uh, nothing. No, I, 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 I they but give me you, free food. Does, I get sandwiches, all the sandwiches, sandwiches I can eat. Craft service And there. a t-shirt usually at the end of the thing with yeah. the, uh, 
Actually, I'm impressed. I'm not wearing any swag today. There's no swag. What happens here. is eventually, is your clothes all become because you have closet <laughs> space. You got to make choices. Like, am I going to throw out this blank black shirt or keep the crew shirt? Right. Panavision shirt. You or, start walking uh, around with Panavision. Yeah, white whites, <laughs> and you get all these. You walk around with these shirts all the time, or shirts that say the shows on them. Yeah. Um, at one point, I had you know ten Hannibal shirts, and you walk around with this guy. This, this psycho on your shirt. So, but does uh does the does the guild um set rates and guarantee that? And do you you have overtime? Do you not? Mm-hmm. Or like yeah, double time, triple time. So like like a union, the guild does is there to protect you and make sure that there's a a, a basic yeah uh set value. So yeah, there's there's a flat rate and there's a there's a rate that you make no matter what. But and you can negotiate beyond that. Uh, once you're like a third, first, okay. and second, uh, below, not so much. What I did was I negotiated a position higher. Yes. I, I got the title and I get that wage instead of, you know, just trying to get more money for what I was doing. Um, overtime's tricky for, for the AD department because we are the usually one of the first ones to be in there. You know, locations in other department. They're there from the beginning. So does craft service uh, have to be there for early makeup? Oh, I know that because man. I started in craft service, is, so you, I always You are right. Little... Well, craft service usually shows up as... Their time is usually tied in with when the trailer AD is going to be there with cast. Yeah. They're there when the first people are going to be there. So it's usually, yes. So early makeup. We'll give them a shout out. Yeah, they, 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 those free sandwiches. <laughs> they work hard. Those craft service people. Yeah, they'll usually show up. And then you get, you know, transport and the electrician's got a plug in craft. If we're going to get really crazy, Dean, you're yeah. right. There, right are, there, are, there are a handful of people that show up early. <laughs> ADs are one of them. And they're one of the last people to leave. Yeah, for sure. So what happens is uh, the guild has made a pretty wide rate of what that uh so every department usually has like uh for us it's 14 hours before you go into overtime some departments 14 hours yeah, wow i think camera's like eight, eight isn't it yeah no yeah. oh, camera that's the real money kids that's if you want to make yeah. some big time cash, <laughs> hot tip yeah hot tip of the day you want to make that moolah uh camera yeah if you could like that angelo guy yeah uh he could buy and sell us you know 10 times over um you make that real money, but but again, there's a there's a measurable skill rate. This right. guy can, he's the camera that's he making will the whole thing. That whole thing. <laughs> yeah, what you're seeing, and and so he's the keeper of the images uh, to a point. Uh, but yeah, so eight hours, ten hours for some departments. Us is fourteen hours before you go into overtime. Then it's double overtime. Okay. So to make the money, uh, you want to do like a sixteen or eighteen hour day, which is ludicrous. It's it's and yeah. it's a part of the industry that kind of you know people have talked about for years about changing because you have all these just normal people normal people uh, other departments you're still they're still there for that whole day they're just getting more money for it right. um, but you got people that are working fourteen hours and then they drive home and so it's been a concern the safety side of it is, do you is, get a guaranteed amount of time from when you wrap to when your next call it's supposed time to be is? what's called turnaround yeah which uh, for again ours is a shorter period of time. Oh. On other departments, it's like 11 or 12 hours. Or mostly it's 10 or 11 hours. It's for most, there needs to be, from the time you wrap to when you sign in again. And if not, then you're, you're getting money. So yeah. it's kind of it's kind of the dirty part of the industry where we're accepting this money for for potentially our safety at, at a True. point. And it's something that a lot of a lot of uh, productions are very good with. I've been on productions where like, you know what, go home. It's, it's been long. You, right. you go home. We don't need you guys here. You guys go home. We'll continue on. Well, a good AD is going to have that all scheduled out, aren't they? They're going to yeah, know, they, like, okay, you guys are wrapped, get out of here, you'll be back And They're always trying to send people home when they can, uh, uh, For again, for that safety side, so people aren't working longer. Also, there's a money side of sure. it for the producers, help the producers yeah. out. You don't want a camera guy sitting there that you don't need, uh, or, or, you know, even equipment. There's equipment where they're yeah. like, can we get rid of that techno crane that's sitting there and, and, yeah. and greasing? Um, and it's got three different operators to it. 
uh, it's pretty good money, but it's it's one of those things where you're working a lot of time for it. So you look at a paycheck, wow. Like my wife will look at it. She goes, this is insane. I said, yeah, but you got to understand that I worked 80 hours that week. Right. Like I'm working someone's whole month sometimes. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, in yeah. five days. So, so do you think it's a lifestyle choice then? 100%. Yeah, it takes, it takes a different... Uh, kind of individual to, to work those hours. But again, you can etch out, you can still be in the industry and find maybe a job that works. There's there's lots of jobs where you're not doing crazy hours like that. Right. Get on a kid's show. <laughs> right. Any show with kids. Yeah. You get on a kid's show, you're doing an eight hour day. That's easy it. peasy. You're done. Yeah. And then you hear those guys complain like, oh, the paycheck though. You know, it's, then you got to negotiate right. that way. Right, right. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of sides you can do it. And, and again, you can make your, I know guys that have made a living and, and don't have to work those crazy hours. So. Any advice for someone uh, who's looking to get into the AD department, that stream? Run. Run? No, <laughs> no. no. Um, again, it's, uh, I think if you if you want to do it, like I said, go onto the DGC page yeah. and they give you an outline of what it is and, and how you can get into it. And, and the $800 is an investment, uh, but you have to be proactive. Don't do it if you're, if you're one of those stereotypical, what they call millennials now. Where, you know, they just they want things to happen because you were not going to sit there and get a job right. as an AD. They want to travel and have time off and uh, somehow still be employed. And things just happen for them. <laughs> it's just not, you're not going to sit there and this happens. And it's not just millennials. I, I think they've unfortunately taken the fall for that. Yeah. It's, there's a personality of people that just expect, you know, okay, I paid my $800. I've done the three-day training. Here come the jobs. Yeah. And that's not what it is. You got to, you know, uh, what is it? Rubber to pavement or whatever. You got to get out there, send emails out to people and be proactive. Um, so I think just be prepared for that. You know, be be very um, good at presenting yourself. You have to get yeah. that resume in order. And, and don't sell short any experiences you have. Like I said, anything you've done, volunteer, anything, put it on there. Any other previous jobs, even if they're not industry jobs. Like I said, I put on that I was a manager at Sears for 10 years and that got me my first job. That's great. Yeah. That was all he needed to know that I could do this, this, this position. Um, yeah. It's, and again, it's, it's a great thing to do also not as, as I'm going into this, I'm going to be an assistant director for the rest of my life. It's a great way to get a peek behind the curtain. Yeah. To kind of get on set. When you first come on with, with an assistant director, a lot of the jobs you're going to be doing are, are, uh, not very intense at times. You could be on a corner for eight hours standing there just asking people not to walk by, right? <laughs> right. So it's not, you, it's, it's yeah. kind of easy money in that way. And then there's some minds like myself where I, I, I go nuts doing a lockup because it's, I, I've learned to kind of shut my brain off, pretend I'm watching a movie, I guess. Yeah. Where you can do, oh, sir, could you please move? But then you're not annoyed that you're sitting on a corner for eight hours while all the stuff's happening behind you. There's, there's kind of a funny thing where uh, a saying on set was, how do you find the AD on set? He's the only guy or person not looking at everything, like not looking at the, the what's the going shoot. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the one with his back to, or <laughs> she's got her back out, to everything, looking out for what could possibly exactly be to watch everything else. So there's yeah. an explosion going on. Like, man. <laughs> um, so, so initially, you get on set and you get to see, like I said, all the positions, and you're on there, and there's not a lot of pressure. You, 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 you can slowly build up and take on more responsibility. But when you first start, my biggest advice too is. On any set, even if you don't uh, do it in the guild, again, you can go and, and find these uh, sites where they're looking for people to help out and just don't expect to get paid for it. Right. I'd go into it, even if they say you're getting paid, go into it that you're going for the experience and be like a spy, get to see, and then, and just have that uh, ability to, to be helpful, but not get in the way. 
You know, yeah. like be be ready to help if you're needed and see things that, that maybe as, as you get on set longer and longer, you can see things that might need to be done. They don't want ADs that go up to the director and give notes. Do not go to the director <laughs> and tell him a better way to, <laughs> to, to block that scene <laughs> or, or even getting in your own department's way. Like, don't like uh, we need to get this and this. Don't be the guy first you know, or girl to, to jump in there and do it. Just yeah. when you're just starting out, just, you know. They know that you don't know everything. Yeah. They don't expect you to be there doing everything. So use it as a way to be a spy kind of on set and, and kind of help yourself figure out what you want to do. That's great. Well, it's great to hear about all of this. Uh, I know I've learned some stuff about the AD's role. What's coming up for you next? Uh, like I said, I'm uh, right now just doing the odd day here and there um, on some shows and films. And then I'm trying to get on, weasel my way on to another film. There's a, there's a few big ones starting up this summer. Can you drop any names of uh, what's coming up? No one listens to this podcast. No one listens to this. Uh, <laughs> my mom. Um, what's coming to town? Yeah, there's so in Toronto, there's... Uh, honestly, it's, 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 it's tricky because some of them have secret names. So I don't even know. Okay. I know there's one something moon something. That'll be like one of those uh, like thirty day shoots. That's a month. Uh, it too, okay. The the second chapter that's going to be shooting over the summer. Yeah, uh, I believe. I don't know where they'll be exactly because I know the, they shot the original one in Toronto, but they shot in and around places as well. Um, and then there's a couple other superhero uh, shows and movies going on uh, oh, as well. It seems so. like there's always a superhero movie there's a going, lot going on. Going on right now. Yeah, it's well, what everybody still wants. Dry, right? eh? Yeah, no, well. it's what everybody wants. So I usually end each episode with a film word of the day, mm-hmm. uh, where I give you the word and you give me the definition, mm. just to sort of put you. <laughs> I didn't you know there was your... a quiz. Dean. Yeah, totally. Yeah, right. I agreed to blind, this. But I, I like, think it'd be fine with this I one. Like quizzes. But you can, you can answer this one. Probably no problem. Okay. Our word of the day. Our film word of the day is pickups. Ah, I can do that one. You can do it. I can do pickups. Yeah. So if we shoot the scene right now with you and me sitting here talking. And I'm drinking this big honking cup of water you gave me. Um, you, it's the way you're going to shoot it initially is your, you know, your master, your close-ups. A pickup would be a piece of that, just a piece of that scene that you want to, to capture. So it could be me grabbing the cup and bringing it to my lips or whatever. So that's just a camera isolated to that. So it's just a piece of the whole scene you're shooting. So mostly you're going to shoot beginning to end, us talking for however long we've been talking. And then there'd be pieces of that that you want to get. So that's a pickup. Are you sure? Oh boy! Are you want to commit to that? That's what I'm calling a pickup. It's it's yeah. That's what I know it is. What, what I can I can read you the definition because what I think you're just describing is an insert. No, no, that's it. Because a pickup is actually no, an insert, that is an insert of the shot. But but uh, a pickup is I think done later. They do pickups later. Footage filmed after shooting wraps, usually minor shots. In the case of something like the Lord of the Rings, however, pickup shots were major and essential. Peter Jackson went so far as to film a few pickups for the extended edition of Lord of the Rings, even after the film had won 11 Oscars. I'll disagree with that. I'm really? going to say That's those are reshoots. That sounds like reshoots too. to me, my man. Yeah, uh, you're you're that, correct. The definition I gave like, would be an insert. Yeah. You're, you're right. But but I guess the way to explain it would be, like we do pickups all the time when we're shooting. You're going, we're going to do a pickup on this. It's a piece. An, a, yes, insert. Insert-y, that was a bad, bad example because it's right on the... I didn't mean just, just the cup. I'm still in the shot. Yeah. And I'm drinking it, but you're taking just a piece of that entire thing that you shot, that scene of us talking, and you're going to shoot a camera that's uh, just, instead of reshooting from the beginning of dialogue to the end again, you're just going to do that piece. That, that pick, one little piece? Pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. So so if I fobble my line sometimes, I hear a uh, director say, okay, let's pick it up. Let's do a pickup, and we'll just catch that piece. Okay. That's my definition. That's I can what go I've seen with on that, set. too. I can what, go with what that, I too. What I think they're talking about sounds like reshoots to me. 
They didn't do pickups in LA when they did Suicide Squad. They did uh, reshoots. Those were reshoots. That's a that's a, a reshoot. Yeah. You know what? I hate being wrong, Dean. So I'm going to say I'm right, and and that's no problem. No, I love I love controversy on the show. So if anybody's listening to this and they have a better definition or want to side with one of the definitions, uh, let us know in the comments below. Nice. <laughs> Chris, it's been a pleasure to have you Thanks here, man. Yeah. I really, really enjoy this. And uh, good luck to you. Thank you, sir. You too. All keep right. keep uh, pulling back that veil. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, there you have it. Assistant Director Chris Feltis. Man, he's, he's done some good stuff. I love that he just totally, you know, lays down the path that he took. And you can replicate that. You can you have the same per- perseverance as he does. And, and you can do it. You can be an AD. Yeah. As long as you have perseverance and a good attitude, I think. Yeah, he's yeah. funny, he's a nice guy, and I think that helps him on set with those long, crazy hours. Uh, you know, people want to work with him. Yeah, I mean, I, again, assistant directing, when you really look at it, is like he, you got to be a really good communicator. And and number one thing uh, to be a good communicator is being someone that is approachable. And people yes. want to approach to you with their problems and know that you have a solution for them. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta have that welcoming a smile, I guess. So we ended the conversation there. We had a little bit of a disagreement over the definition of pickups. That's what right. What pickup is. And it was funny because, you know, I think he was 50% right, but he was kind of describing it as an insert. And then I was 50% right because I was talking about sort of it being done later. And uh, so after we were done, we were still laughing. We were about to go for lunch. We were laughing. He's on his phone and he's checking it. And he's like, okay, here you go. Here's another one. So here it is. Here's the, I'm going to call it the definitive de- definition, I guess, from Wikipedia. Come on, it's crowdsourced, <laughs> crowd approved. Why not? Hey, majority wins. That's right. And it says in filmmaking, a pickup is a small, relatively minor shot filmed or recorded after the fact to augment footage already shot. So, ah, okay. So it's like a re- it's like an insert, but it happens later. And I think it happens after the filmmakers have watched the dailies. You know, they've mm. watched what they filmed the day before and they're reviewing and they're making sure maybe the editor's done a little offline cut and they're seeing how the scene is and they're realizing, oh, either we forgot something or we need something because something isn't quite right. So right. they say, okay, we got to get these pickups. We got to go back and get them. We got to um, go back and pick up these shots, right? That's right, to make the scene or the sequence work. If an entire scene needs to be done, then it's a reshoot. Right. Okay. So, so that's there why it I think is. a pickup and a reshoot, they're kind of the same. Somebody's fricked up. <laughs> Or forgotten something, and they need to go back. Well, again, this episode has been brought to you by The Video Twins, videotwins.com. Be sure to check it out. Uh, We've got all kinds of free resources there, and we're pumping out free content regularly. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter and all the social media places. And uh, I guess that does it for this show, eh, Berman? Yep, I think there you go. All right, well, thanks for listening. And I guess we'll see you next time. 